You're listening to The New Paris. For this last episode of season two and of 2018, I wanted to look at a couple of the events that have shaped the year, including the most recent and ongoing Gilets Jaunes movement. Joining me back on the show again is author and New Yorker staff writer, Lauren Collins. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. So this is going to be a fun chat, fun being the operative word here. Fun, but jaune. (laughs) Fun and yellow. We're going to try to keep it, you know... I don't know, light as lighthearted as it can be, given the circumstances. Um, but I mean, I can't even believe we're December and a lot has happened. And yet it all seems like it happened in the second half of the year. I mean, we were just before we started recording, we were talking about the World Cup and you were like, that was a, like a million years ago. Yeah, we like, were having to Google what happened in like ye olde, <laughs> ye, ye olde spring of 2018. It was five months ago. Yeah, it doesn't when, seem like that. Right. So I, I mean... For you, if we're thinking about like the big stories of the year, obviously Gilets Jaunes is sort of like the the one that has dominated. It, it's the it's the hippo that has taken over and eaten the rest of the stories of the year. But you know, there was a lot that came out of the World Cup. You know, both positive and and negative. And then there's the Affaire Benalla, which. I still don't fully get where that stands. Yeah, so that was what we came up with. Those are the stories that are kind of like the hippos, like, you know, crunching way way back in its molars. But even those are only still from the second half of the year. But that's okay. I think those were the big, big stories this year. I mean, it kind of feels like 2018 started uh, with the World Cup, right? It did. Slow wind up. You know why? That's because a lot of the other stories were in America. Yeah. At least that's the way it feels, I think, from our position looking out. Or yeah, that, with was whiplash. that was whiplash because right. we've, <laughs> we've been paying so much attention, you know, as Americans living <clears throat> in France. I mean, it's, it's hard to, you know, not to train your eyes on home with everything that's going on. But then the World Cup happened. And um, I mean, that was like that was a fantastic moment. And it seems all the more kind of like ecstatic looking back on it from the vantage point um, of cold, dark, fraught December 2018. Um, <laughs> and you were, you were a big fan. I was, I was totally I mean, You're still it. a big fan, I guess. Yeah. Of, but of, not of all, the, I mean, of all the players or like one in particular? I've always followed the World Cup, but what was great was to be living in a country with a viable team at, you know, um, I mean, poor America didn't qualify this year as we remember but yeah I watched every game it was so much fun I mean being out in the street where where were you on the night were you in town okay yes I was and I'm gonna say something I was in my apartment confession confession because <laughs> confessional. I knew what was gonna happen which was that it was which was go. like absolute joy and but it you was know, abandoned it was, in the streets okay it, it was abandoned and so like to be honest the second it was certain that we got it yeah. right we were gonna take it home my street was just instant chaos. So it was like, I didn't need to go out in it. I could just look out my window and I was like, yes, I'm part of it. But I did that because, you know, like I had been out for the 14th of July and remember the, the final was the next day. Right. So I was like, I had enough excitement the day before. Yeah. I'm not going to go back out in this. So I don't have to sing. I will survive again. No, I, I want to be in my house and like know that I can get back into the house. Right. Um, but it was no, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a special moment for sure. And All right. Then, we'll see you in four years, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what I found the most fascinating, it feels like we can't really enjoy things anymore because it's like this was such an enjoyable moment. And then the media had to go and be like, well, it's a win for Africa, too. And then you're like, oh, God, here we go. Because this is this is the way France, you know, 
is. You say something like that, even if it's in jest, Trevor Noah, I'm talking mm. to you. Uh, and, and then France goes ballistic and that's what happened, right? It became a discussion about identity and what it means to be French. And then these players are like, but we're both and that's fine. But the French are like, no, you can't be both. You're just French. And, well, my equivalent of your staying in on the <laughs> World Cup victory night was I didn't watch the Trevor Noah video. But I thought it was – I mean, what I did think was interesting is, like, there was a documentary that came out um, after the win about the team, which was – you know, it, it wasn't – it was good. It, there was some access. I mean, I don't. I didn't feel like I really saw, like, inside the lives of – but there was some kind of locker room stuff that was interesting. And – the players and particularly the ones who are, you know, French, but of African origin are, are really like conscious in the way that they're talking about their identity. And I think like the big inspirational speech that Pogba gave right before the game in the locker room was like, um, and it, it's going to sound a little bit hackneyed, maybe like in my interpretation, but there was so much emotion behind it. And it was like, do this, like, you know, for France, for our grandkids, it was very like, I mean, as competitions involving teams representing nation mm -hmm. states are, but it was very, very focused. It wasn't like we're the best sportsmen. We want to win. We want to show our prowess. It was like bring it home for, for France, France. Mm -hmm. and and this sense of like kind of um, generational uh, glory was really what it was all about. And that that was interesting to me and moved me. And I think that um, this kind of new generation of players are really are really smart about the way that they're talking about who they are, what France is, and, and how the two intersect. I just wish that the country would give them that same courtesy. Like, they shouldn't have to win these games to be treated like they're, you know, truly French. Like, that's the that's the other big ongoing debate. Right. Well, right? I became French last week, and I'm, I really, know I'm looking did. forward. I'm really looking forward to the moment somebody asks me what I am, and I just give them the deadpan French. <laughs> I'll explain. I'm not that mean. I'll tell him after. But yeah, that I'm. Bah, I'm je suis française, quoi. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's the moment. That's the moment. Well, that welcome I'm to the club. It's a, it's thank a, you. It's a, it's, a, it's a cool. Can you can you just smell it on me? The Frenchness. Already? I know you've. It's already. I I get the vibe. The spirit. Good. You're already. You. It was already in you, though. You know. It's just all coming to. But the, the world. So the World Cup. That was obviously a, a, a wonderful moment. And then there were some strikes. Right. We forgot to mention that there was the crap ton of strikes. And we should talk about those actually when we talk about the gilets jaunes also because those strikes were not particularly I mean they were um, you know robust and seriously disruptive. We all, they were but um, they weren't particularly successful. No. So well so what's interesting about that is that that's maybe we should say what they were. These right. This was the um, the SNCF workers striking over the course of two months, I think it was from April to June, and it was a rolling strike that was, uh, what was it, five days on, three days, or it was five days of service, followed by three days of disruptions mm -hmm, over the course mm -hmm. of two months. So um, it was a pretty good effort. <laughs> I mean, it was sustained and very disruptive. Um, and it was all sort of in an effort to to say that all the benefits that had historically been part of being an employee of the SNCF should remain in place, like you can't take those away, except that, you know, at what point do you change the way these, these organizations function? And like, can you sustain such benefits? Like, I mean, that seemed to be the big gripe, like you're changing something 
the employees don't want them changed. It's about pensions and and all sorts of things like that, and the be- and the overall benefits. Retirement right? age. I think. And I mean, I think one of the points of contention was obviously when um, these benefits were kind of instituted. Um, being a railroad worker involved considerably more physical labor than it does now, which isn't to say it doesn't involve some now, but I think they were able to retire at very early ages, partially because of that. Um, and so the government and the, you know, the SNCF in trying to modernize uh, were arguing that, well, that's not the nature of work now. So if this isn't a backbreaking job, why should you be able to retire it? I don't know what it was, but it's quite early. I mean, yeah. 52 or something uh, versus the age that everyone else retires. And um, I mean, I have to say, like, I kind of was sympathetic to their, to me, it's just good to see anybody in this day and age, like, you know, saying, we still want our benefits. You know, I thought it was like a pretty, yeah, yeah, I thought it was like a pretty valiant stand as we see the way that, but at the same time, I mean, it costs everyone else so much and it's not really fair. So whatever, you can see both sides of it. um, But, but, Macron and his administration stood firm on that one. And um, yeah, I mean, we all had some canceled trains and some days we couldn't get where we needed to get. But in the end, that petered out and the reforms were passed um, with like an overwhelming majority once the vote actually came came to the to the floor. So that was the instance where we're like, okay, Macron is a president who does not cede. He is going to remain firm. Right. Unlike all of his predecessors. Who were sort of, and if we look at Hollande being, then his nickname being Flamby and who would always just sort of cave and like become mush, mm-hmm. right? Well, unfortunately, that that has not gone that way with Gilets Jaunes. So I guess let's let's go into the bulk of Gilets Jaunes, like how this happened, which is not actually as, I mean, it seemed sudden. It seemed like mm-hmm. this grassroots movement that like, you know, erupted overnight. I mean, right. it's been a slow burn, I think. And um What's interesting is I remember I was leaving on a trip on November 17th, which was the start of the demonstrations. Mm. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's interesting. Well, I'm going to take the RER to the airport. Okay, right. great. No problem. Come back a week later and I was like, this seems like really much different than I expected. <laughs> right? What's this inferno? What, what, what's going on here? Yeah. And, and so that's when you're like, okay, this is definitely unprecedented in mm. a lot of ways. And that only continued, that realization only continued to grow, especially when it all came to a head sort of that first weekend of, of December when it became quite violent and really destructive and lots of things were on fire. And, you know, and of course the media ran with that. And so, but at the bottom of this, and I know that a lot of foreigners have been looking on and, and seeing all these competing stories in the media and they're not really sure like, okay, what's the bullet point list of mm. like what is behind this? So, I mean. Okay, bullet point. Yeah. Uh, well, if, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you want to just focus on, you know, proximate causes. Uh, okay, so bullet point, there was a gas tax. Um, a gas tax was levied already, but it was set to go up even more in January. And um, the thing that happened is there was this gas tax, which was was levied for ecological reasons. Um, Diesel cars. But like unexpectedly, the price of gas just soared this year. I mean, this was like a complicated chain of events that, you know, uh, involved geopolitical, you know, Trump sanctions on Iran, whatever. But the price of gas increased something like um, 23% for diesel drivers and 17% um, for other drivers in the course of the year. So um, there's that. And people were having trouble 
making ends meet. I mean, I think this also goes back much, 40 years, much 40, further years. to oh, deindustrialization yeah. and to the, you know, widening income inequities all over the world that um, are abs- are also happening in France and to the disappearance of the middle class. So we could, I mean, the bullet points could, <laughs> could trail way back. But, but the thing that kind of kicked it off was this gas tax. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there are, there are several dimensions to this. I mean, it's a complicated movement, first of all, because there's no defined leader. Right. Um, even its aims are, you know, ambiguous. I mean, there are different, you know, factions of Gilets Jaunes, different people want different things. But the point is, like, people were mad. People were mad about taxes. Eh? And I think when we're on the subject of taxes, it's also worth mentioning that at the very beginning of his mandate, Macron... Um, abolished a tax that a wealth tax, a a tax that very wealthy people uh, had to pay on their assets. And I, you know, there may be good economic reasons for having done this. I mean, we should also mention that unemployment is slightly down in France. In the last 18 months. If you had Macron on here, like he would be arguing, well, I'm, you know, reforming the economy and it's, it's working. Yeah. But anyway, um, that was like, a real, I think, you could call that the original sin of this whole thing. I mean, one hundred percent. He was, it, ar- yeah. He was already the, you know, the president of the wealthy. That's right. How he was perceived, and so well, that he only- came from Rothschild. I mean, he worked in a bank. Like symbolically, it, you know, set a tone. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, we get to this fall, and like gas is unaffordable, and then the next dimension comes in where the, where there's this sense that. Um, you know, this gas tax, like, logically is uh, disproportionately affecting people who have to drive, which is not the kind of, um, you know, urban class um, of people who live in cities no. and, you know, tend to form a different social class. And so you have the you have the economic dimension, then you have this social aggravation, this sense of, you know, two different worlds of disconnection. Um and so then uh, you have the social media dimension is, I think, the third important thing to talk about, which is that, you know, people organized on Facebook. Um, and so there's also like a communication issue. I mean, the kind of... There's a lot of misinformation yeah, also and every, rolling and around. And disinformation yeah, as yeah. well. But everything, the conversation that one group of people having is not at all, are having is not at all the same conversation that the people who are making the laws, um, you know, are having. And so I think all of this kind of came to a head. And then you had the weekend where these very, you know, important symbols were attacked like the um, Arc de Triomphe Arc de Triomphe this um, big woman's head <laughs> statue that a lot of people took to be Marianne but it wasn't the symbol of the French Republic I think it actually wasn't but anyway that's the, that was what it looked like to yeah. people and that was the message that went out and um, so anyway this very quickly turned into like a, a just you know crisis well it was um, it, it was more than just we're unhappy about these things. It became an overarching anti-government, anti-Macron, right. 
you know, you're not listening to us. And so we're going to demand that you listen to us right. kind of thing. And what's interesting is like, we have to remember that Macron's party on March came out of nowhere. Right. Um, he, you know, he announced the formation of his party like a few months before the presidential campaign started. And so his whole thing was like traditional, like right and left. Uh, the traditional parties aren't working. I'm going to like totally bypass them and do something different. And so what's fascinating about the Gilets Jaunes also is they're kind of like the, um, you know, mirror image in a way. They're also these, this movement that was really unexpected um, that had some kind of like circumstantial momentum and came out of nowhere and really surprised people um, and managed to just completely grab a hold of the conversation in a really short time in a way that like people wouldn't have been able to anticipate. Um, and this also comes after an entire year of, I mean, yes, the fuel tax and all of these other like very distinct things mm -hmm. were the actual, you know, factors that, right. that led to this. But you have to, part of the building anger was also Macron's tone this right. entire year. Right. I mean, some of the, the, the one-liners you've heard him say. Yeah, are I just mean, there like, have been a number of incidents where... Um, Oh, il suffit de traverser la rue pour trouver un boulot, you know, right, whatever. Right, right. So this is him telling a guy who's <laughs> like out of work, like, hey, well, I just saw their high. like, go across the street. That's all you have to do to get a job. And um, so, right, there's just been this sense of Macron as someone who not only doesn't understand um, the middle and kind of working poor. Yeah, yeah. yeah any, everyone from the middle class down, but, but doesn't care to. Um, I mean, and... That happens to almost every politician. I mean, I don't know if it's like so unique to Macron, but he, he has, you know, he tried to strike this kind of high tone in his presidency and somewhere along the line that curdled into arrogance. I mean, for me, actually, one of the kind of revelatory or moments of that or one of the, um, the Turning signal points? moments of that was... I don't know if you saw the exchange where he was talking to a high school student. Yes, Manu. And the high school student was rude to him. Yeah. Like, I think he called him too. He definitely called him he Manu. Toured, yeah. Yeah. So he's rude. Like, he should call him Monsieur le Président and say vous and all that. But, like, it's a high school student. Just let it go. Yeah. yeah. And Macron just got, I mean, and, and this is partly, I think it's like, you know, I think it's his personality. I think it's also comes out of his career and his training or whatever, but he likes to take people on in the street. Like yeah. he likes argument. He thinks that he can prevail in rational argument, but what he, what he doesn't understand, I think the mistake there is like people don't, aren't trying to have rational arguments with him. They're trying to have emotional ones. Yeah. And, and that there's been a sense that no one is hearing the pain and the anger. And he hasn't, but he's been warned. So this is what right. frustrates me is that, you know, if you read some of the French media, they've all been saying like they've spoken to economists who mm -hmm. have said like, no, no, like the warnings have been sent to him about like, you ignore this more and this is what's going to happen. Right. Or, like people from his administration who have warned him. Now, I'm not saying his administration is perfect because clearly no one is advising him on a communication right. pers perspective. Like he just keeps sticking his foot in his mouth. Um, but then he was silent. So he went from saying all these like ridiculous things. And w when it first erupted um, very badly on that first weekend of December, he was in Argentina for the summit. Mm. Um, and I, someone had said that, you know, his reaction was like, well, you know, I'm the president. The, the role of the president is to represent France abroad. Mm. So like, you know, let the prime minister sort of handle right. this. I it's think like, the role of the president also in the way that the... Um, 
you know, division of powers is structured is that he is supposed to throw the prime minister under the bus, under the bus right. and let him take the slack. But I thought, I, and that was interesting. I found it really weird that he like, you know, went totally underground and didn't speak on the gilets jaunes. I questioned, I didn't know whether that was, I found that weird as a foreigner. I wasn't sure whether that was cultural coming in or if it really was weird. But I think one thing that just was ill, one thing that was strange about that is also maybe that is what French presidents have traditionally yes, done, but yeah. you can't do that anymore because no. of, because of, of social media. I mean, you know, here's where it plays into, we talked, we've talked a lot about, there's been a lot of commentary on the gilets jaunes and social media, but what about Macron and the age of social media? Like everybody knows where you are. And even now silence on social media is a form of speech and yeah, I think people felt it felt very rudderless when the country was like, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, his whole communication strategy needs to be rethought because it's 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 just aggravating this this existing sentiment of like, he's not listening. He's right. not there for us. Right. So but one of the other things that I thought was interesting, I just read a story yesterday in The New York Times that that focused on the mobility issue mm-hmm. of behind the Gilets Jaunes. So you mentioned the fact that like they, these the, the people who are primarily you know, demonstrating are the ones who are supercar dependent. Mm. And a lot of those people live in areas that have declining infrastructure when it comes to either public transportation, railway and buses. So also the services like post offices and other things like that have been decentralized. So Mm. they have to take their cars, right? So they can't even like that. I mean, I know that's, you know, a a problem, not just in France, but it's one that's a particular pain point for France. And that, you know, it, it's not like the, the frustration that comes with that and the increasing cost of gas and the increasing cost of being told, you know, mm-hmm. well, yes, we told you to get these diesel cars all those years ago, but now they're bad for the environment. And so you need to, you know, get new stuff. Right. All of that. They may not understand why ecologically like this needs to happen. But right. No, but it, I think they un- I think people understand perfectly. But what people are saying is just like, why is it on Us. our bags? I right. mean, one of the gilets jaunes points that I think is very good is like, why cars? Why not airplanes? Or why or why do we? Yeah, why do you not tax? Also because who the- takes airplanes and who takes cars? <coughs> um, so to me, I mean, that was is no, a it's very a very fair point. Resonant point um, of their message and like. I mean, something I read that I thought was interesting, too, is, um, you know, like the Gilets Jaunes was also not only a social movement and not only a protest against the kind of decline of social services and all that, but it was like and is a form of social life itself. I mean, I just read something where a guy was like, you know, like being out on these roadblocks, I mean, yeah, it's cold and we're tired and all that, but I'm feeling solidarity. I feel I'm feel I'm greeting these people every day. There's um, a community, a community. So yeah, it's not only protesting the decline of that community, but it's serving as a form of it itself, which I think is interesting. And I think can account for some of the movements um, appeal, but also, you know, longevity and and vigor. So the one one element I do want to make sure we talk about is you know th- there's been a lot of support from you know non movement participants mm. like you and I and you know just other citizens generally. It's starting to decline I think because of just how violent and destructive it got. Right. Um I know that I've gone from 
sort of like the whole spectrum of emotions feeling mm-hmm. like, yes, I'm with you because there's a lot of injustice. And then being like, guys, you're not really being reasonable. Like, right. Calm down. And then feeling even more frustrated because, you know, I'm seeing the small businesses that are around, even in my neighborhood, like, yes, yeah. I understand why you're attacking the luxury shops on the Champs-Élysées. Like, right. kind of makes sense. Right. The small businesses that like the Taba that makes like no money and you've just like destroyed mm. whatever he has and you've set cars on fire in the middle of Avenue Parmentier, like you're bringing down the small businesses that are they like have, in the same yeah. crap shoot as you are. They like, have not been reasonable. No, I think we can all agree on that. I think the interesting question is, I mean, can, do you have to be unreasonable to get any results? I mean, and that's where I wanted to compare back to the very organized paint by numbers kind of choreographed, um, SNCF strike in the spring. I mean, that was a strike that went by the playbook. Everybody knows how they unroll. Everybody knows how it works. They got nowhere. Um, I'm wondering, I don't, I don't think the gilets jaunes would have had any success had their methods not been so incendiary. I'm not saying that justifies them. No. Um, it's just like an interesting question of like in this political moment, do you, I mean, do you have Is to that have what it takes? revolution in a sense, um, to, well, and then to have change? Well, and then, you know, because the, we should say, I mean, we haven't said this, um, allowed yet but so the philippe government the the prime minister and then macron also i mean they have made a number of concessions to the gilet jaune which of course they've said are not enough so like thank you sir too late your tone sucks and that's not enough right and the other point that we have to make also (laughs) is they have politicians from every part of the spectrum egging them on and saying i mean everybody wants to jump on this movement and make it theirs because they want to harness this power and energy right. that's come out of nowhere uh, for their purposes for the next election. So so we've got two minutes left, which I feel like we've only scratched the surface, but like this is what happens with the 28-minute show. Uh, what do you think is next? Because we know this is going to continue. We're about to, you know, in three days, it's New Year's yeah. uh, New Year's Eve. I can't. What day is it? <laughs> you wish. It's Christmas <laughs> Eve. So, you know, are we going to have a reprieve? Is like January 2nd going to be like, and we're back in service? Like... I don't know. It's. I mean, I kind of. It seems like a kind of bookend. I mean, the, the end of the year, and we have Christmas, and I would imagine. I mean, the 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 no, at least in terms of uh, public support, according to the polls and numbers of people in the street, the movement has been lo- You know, weakening. Been losing momentum. I mean, each weekend there have been fewer people out. And fewer people supporting it. But that's not to say, I mean. Maybe they just need a vacation. Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe so. they just need a rest and then come back. Maybe and then so. They're... We'll see. But I mean, the, the weekend where it all blew up, I mean, the trajectory was already downward when that was happening. So it just I don't more, know. Yeah, there were less yeah. people, but fewer more people, violent. but more violence. Right. So and then we'll the, see. But one thing, because, and I, and I say this because I've gotten, I mean, I can't tell you how many emails and Instagram messages and t- tweets and like even my mom, like, is it safe to be in Paris? Yes. It's like, safe. Yeah. Stop canceling your trips. Like yeah. this is like, would you cancel your trip to New York city? Because there was like something going on downtown. Like you just, you don't need to go to the Champs-Élysées oh, if you know yeah, there's a demonstration there. Stay away from the demonstrations in Paris. And like, I mean, there are plenty I, of other neighborhoods. I was away. I was away the weekend um, where things got the most out of hand, but I mean, with a, you know, I've, some things have been canceled and that's been unfortunate. There's been a general sense of gloom and (laughs) ruination, but I, you know, you can go about your daily life with no problem. So I guess there you have it. You can come. 
Come to Paris, 2019, <laughs> Gilets Jaunes, to be determined. Lauren. We'll see you. We'll see you all here. Thank you so much for doing this end of year wrap up. Can't wait to see what you write in 2019. It was a pleasure. Joyeuse fête. <laughs> <laughs> and until then, catch all the old episodes of The New Paris on World Radio Paris and on the podcast. So subscribe and, and, and listen over the holiday. And à très bientôt en 2019.